Very convicting. Second Corinthians chapter eight. What would it mean if we learn how to give more? Become truly giving people. I want to read verses one through eleven for us. As we think about a new way to celebrate Christmas and this Advent season. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for he, your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Generosity. What a great word. What a wonderful reputation. People know you as generous. Are you, are, are you, are you thought of, and will you be thought of in this season as someone who is generous, someone who is giving? We love to be around people who are generous. There's something very, very disarming, something very appealing, something um, inspiring about being around generous people. It's interesting that the word translated as generous in this passage, it's kind of an odd translation. It begins with um, the letter A, which is alpha in the Greek, which is also uh, a way of, of transcribing the alphabet into a number. It's the number one. It's the first. So a person who is generous is a person who is whole. And then becomes it becomes sort of the, the impression the, the person who is who is wholehearted. The person who is, is, is fully present. The person who is without pretense. The person who is free to be who God created them to be and then free to give. And so from that little word comes this large impression of generosity. God has given me everything I need. I am a whole person. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to defend. I don't have to um, cover up. Uh, I don't have to worry about what I don't have because God has provided everything I need. How do you get to that place where you're generous? I don't know. We could ask somebody who is. They could tell us. And I assume what they would tell us is what we're reading in this passage. The root of generosity, the source of generosity, is grace. God's grace. God's riches in Christ, who is 
far richer than we can imagine. Giving it all up, becoming poor to make us who are poor rich. And so that's our new self-image. That's our new identity. I'm a rich man. I'm a rich person. We are a rich community. If you're evaluating riches in terms of blessing, yes, materially we are as well, certainly by any world standard, but in so many other ways, we are rich because of the blessings of God in our lives. That's the grace of God. Now, it's interesting, if you look up the word grace in a, uh, a New Testament dictionary, if you look it up in the theological dictionary of the New Testament, which is the authoritative um, kind of last word on what the key theological words of the Bible mean, you actually won't find the word grace. Are you shocked? You should be. How could it not be in there? It's the key to everything we know, understand, believe about God and his relationship with us. He treats us according to grace. But the word is not in the theological dictionary of the New Testament. You only find it when you look up another word, which is the root for the word grace. Grace is charis. We get our word charisma from it. Um, charismatic from it. But the root of the word charis is kara. So people look up kara, which is kind of an X-A-R-A, if you're thinking about transliterating difficulties into English. And kara means joy. The implication is very strong in this passage and in other passages that the experience of grace, or the condition of grace, or the state of grace, is inspired by the experience of joy. Now this is this is a this is a very very deep concept, and I think a, a bit of a mystery to us because we ask why does God treat us as He treats us, and why does anybody so inspired by God treat other people with grace? Where does that grace come from? And now we're splitting the atom. We're asking a question that's that's almost impossible for us to conceive of. Okay, what's inside of God's grace? Well, what's inside of it etymo etymologically, linguistically. And theologically, is the experience of joy. God does what he does because he is an overflowing fountain of joy. He takes joy in giving. He takes joy in being gracious. He takes joy in showing mercy. It's what he loves to do. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> but I will. <laughs> We think of people who are gracious or who are giving as, well, they're doing their duty. It's not quite a thing. It can't be a duty. I mean, Paul says later on, I can't command you to do this. I mean, I could, because it is what God expects. But you know, you can't activate a heart with a command. You only activate a heart with this experience called joy. Jesus says, if you go into his last sort of uh, discourse, his last teaching to his, to his disciples, he says, I have come to complete this mission. And this mission will create a unity. And this unity will give all of you, my disciples, the same experience of joy that my Father and I share. This joy that we have, my Father and I, the Son and the Father, 
God himself, this eternal relationship that God has in the Trinity, in this community, is an experience of joy that overflows. It overflows then and creates a state of grace. And now you and I come within the influence of that state of grace, of that, of that expression of grace, and the outpouring of that is something called generosity. When you get grace, you become generous. No more stinginess, no more self-centeredness, no more self-protectiveness. You begin to realize you have everything you need, and it's so wonderful, as we sang a moment ago, so beautiful, that you have to overflow, and in your overflowing, you're giving. That's where it comes from. You know, the temptation of a pastor at Christmas time or at Thanksgiving time or any time when we're talking about giving is to kind of lean hard into a congregation and to play upon your guilt. And I've mastered that. <laughs> and I've since given up. I can't do it anymore. Because the only thing that matters is what comes from your heart. Generosity. Generosity is a form of hospitality. And by the way, I'm expecting to make a connection here culturally because I know something about the Asian American culture and hospitality is huge. Hospitality is almost compulsive, isn't it? So that when I'm at your house and I ask for something, you have to give it to me. <laughs> Whether you want to or not. But true hospitality does come from the heart. True hospitality is an expression of generosity. And it's something you give. And sometimes you do it even when you're not present. You're generous to someone. You're being hospitable even when you're not physically present because you're allowing them, in this case, slaves to be freed. How's that video over the act of hospitality? Freeing slaves. And there are way too many in our world today. Even in this country. Uh, people who are not able to drink clean water, providing clean water, that's an act of hospitality. And if you knew you could save the life of one child somewhere who would have died because they're not drinking clean water, what would you be willing to give? Well, on the one hand, you're saying, okay, well, how much is it? Can I do it for $10? Can I do it for $8.95? We calculate. Grace doesn't calculate. Grace says whatever it takes. Because God will supply. God will replenish. If I keep giving it away, God will keep pouring in. Wow, there, there's, there's an act of faith. That takes an act of faith to do that. You have to experience the joy to become a gracious person, which then allows you to express this generosity. So that all you have, and whatever you have, you're prepared at a moment's notice when God sort of sends a hint your way, you're ready to give it. You're ready to give it. There, there's an art form to this generosity. And Paul, really, as he's describing what happens, first of all, he's describing the Macedonians. That's the northern part of Greece. And he was, he's using the experience of the Macedonians and the generosity of the Macedonians to sort of incite the Corinthians now to their own level of generosity. And there's an art form involved. And it begins with, not only did you do it, but you had the desire to do it. You know, that's important to me in, in, in relationship. When somebody gives me something, if I think they're doing it grudgingly because they have to do it, they don't have the desire to do it, 
I receive it dutifully like they give it dutifully, and there's no joy in any of that. You mean I just gave you a present, and you knew I did it out of duty, and so you received it, but without any joy? Well, then why did I bother to do it? Well, yeah, what? why did you bother to do it? Why do we bother to give if there's no desire beneath the giving? You see, God wants to plant that desire in our hearts. And that desire is inspired by the joy that comes to us in our relationship with him because he's given us everything we need. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. He continues to pour out into us. He sent his son to give his life to die for us. He became as poor as poor can be. He had nothing. He reduced himself to nothing so he could give everything he had away for us. Now just let that sink in. This is meant to inspire a kind of joy that you can't find anywhere else in the world in any other relationship. Anywhere. And this generosity, this art form begins with a desire that God himself plants in his heart. You really can't conjure it up, but you can focus on it, you can, you can drink deeply of it, and you can decide, this is now the new trajectory in my life. I'm going in this direction. I've spent my life hoarding, I've spent my life conserving, I've spent my life pretending that all I have is really mine. Instead of realizing what God has done in his great and if it's a gift to me, then it's not mine. If it's a gift to me, it's not something I can claim as my own. It's something that's, that's given to me to enjoy, and I enjoy it most by sharing it, by giving it, by opening up my heart, by becoming wholehearted, back to the root meaning of the word generosity, becoming one, becoming a person of true integrity. And I and free now to give it away. When I was in China earlier this year, um, on my first trip there, that was my vision trip. This last trip I had to work really hard, do the teaching and so on. But my first trip was meeting people and kind of getting the lay of the land, places I possibly could in such a large and complex place, dynamic place. And we were out shopping one time, I was taken to a shopping center in Beijing by two young ladies who were part of our, our team, our mission team, uh, both Chinese, both uh, one of them living in China and one of them coming from America. And we were walking through these various shops, and uh, one of the young ladies went into a shop that had a lot of scarves. Now, let me tell you something about this young lady. I was getting to know her name's Grace, great name, or English name. And uh, she went in there, she was kind of looking around, browsing around, kind of, um, kind, of kind of a plain woman. Um, always dressed very plain, very dark colors, subdued. Um, very, very modest, very humble, uh, very much a, a, someone who served other people. And uh, kind of charm, of course, about that. Um, she went in there and, and I kind of watched her out of the corner of my eye she was kind of lingering in this one section, and there was this beautiful scarf, and she picked it up, and she put it around herself. And she went to the mirror and looked in the mirror, and I, I was sort of enjoying her enjoying her. Because I, 
realized she's someone who doesn't look in the mirror very often and doesn't think about what she looks like and what she's wearing. But she was really sort of basking in the beauty of this sculpt. And uh, the other young lady and myself were watching her. She was looking at the mirror. And she went back and she put the scarf on the shelf and she walked out. And uh, um, we commented as we were walking away, how beautiful that scarf is. And she says, yes, I know. I really, I really like it. I said, why, you know, why did you buy it? You look great in that scarf. And she said, oh, no, oh, no, it's, it's too much. It's too much. I, I couldn't buy it. We decided to buy it for her. There was something in me and in this other, uh, the other friend that just said, you would never buy this for yourself. But in a spontaneous desire to see you experience the beauty that I don't think you experience very often because I don't think you, I don't think you dress like this and I don't think you think of yourself as someone who is beautiful. All of this is, I'm surmising. And she, and she resisted. But you know, when you become a giver, you start insisting at some point. And we both, and there are two of us, so we could have both of them. And so we said, well, let's, let's go back and we want to get a closer look at the scarf. We want to put it on. So she put it on, and she was just blushing because of the beauty that I think she felt. That we were looking at the scarf, or she was looking at the scarf, we were looking at her and how beautiful the scarf made her look. And I don't think she had any sense of that. We wanted to give her more than just a scarf. We wanted to give her a sense of beauty. We, we wanted her to see herself as we were seeing her. She couldn't afford it. I don't think she felt like she deserved it. And we bought it for her. And she put it in the bag and she put it away and she banged this profusely and she left. She left. I love to make <laughs> it wasn't that much money. It wasn't that big of a sacrifice. But the joy of giving to someone who wouldn't take for themselves, who really deeply appreciated it quietly and secretly what you were giving them, was a moment that um, kind of had an echo of eternity about it. Giving is. Uh, is a wonderful experience, and the giving that God does is not only, you know, evident everywhere in the cosmos of creation, but there are moments of spontaneous kind of outbursts of giving and generosity. God loves to do that, and in this case, he was showing his daughter how beautiful he thinks she is, and we were just agents of that by our giving. You and I get to do that. And sometimes the giving costs us very little, but a lot of time and attention and creativity to do that. But they're not all that costly. The desire, the intentionality that Paul talks about. These, these Corinthians or these, these Macedonians, he's kind of in, intermingling the two communities. He said, they begged us for the privilege of giving. Now the giving, by the way, that offering that Paul's taking, I should have said this earlier, was an offering taken for the mother church in Jerusalem who was experiencing famine and poverty and uh, going through a lot of difficulties. And Paul is amazed at the attitude of giving that is in the Macedonian folks who are saying, oh no, please let us give. You know, most of the time the person up front is begging the audience to give, and the audience here is begging the person up front to take their money so they can give. 
There's a desire, there's initiative, and it's a giving of oneself, really, in the giving. That ultimately the giving isn't complete until you realize, you know, giving something of myself. When we gave that scarf away, we were investing in a relationship. We weren't just buying something. We want to give this to you because we want you to know how beautiful we think, not only the scarf is, but how beautiful you are with the scarf around you. Now, this is the hard part for me. Because sometimes I get freed up enough that I give, you know, give away money, give away a gift. But giving myself, it was a few years ago that a young man we discovered that I had known for quite a time needed a place to stay. His family was breaking up. It was a family that was uh, in kind of a welfare condition, and grandma who watched over the family had died. And now he was going to be out. He was a teenager. He was going to be out on the streets. And he calls me and says, I think I'm going to be homeless here in, uh, in a few weeks. And he had a lot of deficit in terms of his background, and, uh, a lot of problems. And, and he said, is there any chance I could come and stay with you? Lord, our kids were now growing up. We're empty nesters. My home is my castle. Isn't that a Bible verse or something? <laughs> I mean, I share my house with my wife. I think that's pretty generous. <laughs> it became clear that we were supposed to bring Anthony into our home. This is the kid raised by words. This is the kid who had no manners, who had no uh, maturity. And we would bring him in and um, he would stay with us for a number of months. This is a kid who would go to bed at night and forget to turn the TV on. This is a kid who would walk in the door on a cold winter day like this and forget to close the door. This is a kid who would take food into the room even though it was a rule you don't have food in your room. He would hold food in his room because he never knew during a lifetime whether or not there was enough food. So he kept it really good. This is the kid who wrote us a note that said, Dear Doug and Nancy, thank you for having milk in the refrigerator. My kids never wrote me a note. They took it for granted that would all be there. To open up my home. I mean, I go out and I work hard and I'm with people all day long. I want some peace and quiet and solitude in my home. And it's okay if my wife quietly moves about. <laughs> And now my whole home base is being invaded by a kid who doesn't know how to act. And Jesus is teaching me about giving. Teaching about giving myself. This art form of giving. This capacity to give. Did you notice they gave all that they had and they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability, which means that God must continue to surprise us with how generous he is with us so that we can be more generous than we ever thought we could be. That's also going on. What a Christmas will like that for us. And this giving is, well, it's inspirational in a way you wouldn't believe, you wouldn't understand until you get into the practice of giving. This generosity that um, mirrors the generosity of God becomes almost, well, it does become evangelistic. There's other things evangelistic generosity. 
that draws people to God, draws people to Christ. There's such a thing as evangelistic joy because there's no explanation, no worldly explanation for this. Where is this coming from? Why are you so pleased to be giving to me? How can you be this generous? And people watch and look. And if you go to chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, you'll read these words. It even goes further. You will be made rich in every way, Paul is right in the Corinthians, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Something is going on here. People become thankful as they watch how giving you are. This service we perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. People now, their attention is, is suddenly riveted on the God who's producing such generosity. Don't you want to be in your giving an occasion for other people to notice God and to be drawn to Him? Let me close with three practical suggestions. Okay? You want to be a giver like this? You want to be generous? You want this generosity to come out of a sense of your experience of God's grace and even the joy that bubbles up underneath all of this as you realize what God is doing for you and how he promises you will continue to do this? In the next four to five weeks, you will have opportunities if you're paying attention, if you're getting out of your ruts, to think of ways to give that are spontaneous. Just spontaneous. Sometimes even extravagant. There's extravagance in Scripture as well. Um, as you watch people um, loving as God loves. The woman who pours the expensive ointment, the perfume on Jesus, of course, is criticized for that. But spontaneous gestures of extravagant love. You will have opportunities to do that. So get out, get out of your ruts a little bit. Think a little bit creatively and think, Lord, I want to be this giver. I want to be the giver that you are. I want to reflect your generosity to the people around me. You'll have a chance to do more structured giving. As in to plan ahead and think through, okay, where do I want to invest myself as I look into not only this Christmas season, but into another year? What do I want to invest in that makes a difference? You know, there's slavery. There's clean water. There's poverty. There's needs. There's ministries that you believe in. To be a little more intentional about that, a little more structured as you move into that. And then thirdly, I'm going to throw you a curve now. Be spontaneous, for sure. Some of you are not at all. Everything has to be sort of ordered and you have that itinerary plan. Okay. Allow for some spontaneity in your general plan. Thank you. Structure, some of you are, are, are only spontaneous. You only give when you feel it. Some of you need to start planning to give and make this a part of not only your practice, but maybe even your character. And then thirdly, I want to suggest that one of the great ways of being generous is to be hospitable, inviting people into your space, into your home, into your life, to spend time with people. During this Christmas season, this busy season, this shopping season, time with people, quality time with people. A friend of mine who lives in a different state just went through a horrible trip. feel very led to give her some of my time. I can't send her a gift. I can't send her money. That would be meaningless. But to give her time. 
And there are a whole group of us that are sort of being profitable thus far to do that. Hospitality, the lost art of hospitality. Well, I have my own home, I have my own family, I have my own schedule. And God is saying, um, look what I've done for you on the cross. He gave all of that away. His own time, his own schedule, his own privacy, his own protection. He gave it all up. He spent it all on us so that we could become rich. And we're rich. And you have more to give than you know, including of yourself. Would you pray with me? So, Lord, here we are at the beginning of this uh, festive season. And there is much to light, there is much that warms our heart. At the same time, there's much that leaves us frenzied and frazzled and, and, uh, and not at all free to be on a different agenda, to produce a different quality of life, a life filled up with generosity. How we love to be around people who are free enough to give away, who are available and give of themselves. Who think of others because they know, Lord, you're thinking of them and meeting their needs. We are so rich, and if we believe that, we would relax. And we would share. And we would continue to trust you to provide what we need so we can give away to those who are missing something, missing someone certainly missing the joy. Because ultimately, that is what we want to give. That is what we want to spread. The joy of knowing you. Knowing you, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the one who meets all of our needs all the time. We pray this in